Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. Friends, our gospel lesson this morning in the sermon text comes from Luke's gospel. We're in chapter 10. We're going to take a look at verses 38 through 42. Again, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It says this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. My friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, one of the beautiful things about our time in seminary at Asbury was the multicultural nature of the students and the families that lived there. Families all lived together in a townhouse community called Callis Village. And in our little cul-de-sac alone, we had families from Brazil, families from India, families from Africa. One of our favorite families that we met while we were there were from Singapore. The husband and the wife were both professors at a seminary there in Singapore, but they had come over to America so that the husband could work on and finish his Ph.D. The wife's name was Josephine. And if there was ever someone who was a prayer warrior, it was most certainly Josephine. I know that when we first met her and she started coming over to the house, as soon as she would come in and sit down, because I was raised right, I would ask her what? You want something to drink? (laughs) Because that's what you do, right? Somebody comes into your house for a visit, you offer them something to eat or drink. But the second or third time that Josephine came over, the second or third time of me offering her something to eat or drink, she asked me, she said, why do you Americans always ask whether or not you can get me something to eat or drink when I sit down? I suppose I could have said, well, that's just Southern hospitality, or that's the way I was brought up, or we're just trying to be gracious hosts. But I thought this week about that question of why. You know, Josephine wasn't asking about the task itself. She wasn't asking about the what I do. She wanted to know the motivation behind it, the why I do. Y'all may remember back when VeggieTales was the thing. We watched all these VeggieTale videos, and right before Bob and Larry would say, boy, do we have a show for you, or whatever it was that they used to say, right before that was this 10-second clip from the company that made these videos. And that little 10-second clip was a child in a hat running across a playground. 
And over that video were the words, why we do what we do, right? Why we do what we do. Friends, I think our story this morning is not about choosing Mary over Martha or Martha over Mary in that case. It's not about preferring quiet contemplation over being busy. I think it's about a focus on why we do what we do. It's an invitation from Jesus for us to see the one thing necessary and to make that the core of our lives. It's an invitation for us to move away from what some folks may call distracted discipleship. Jesus decides to drop in on Martha and her sister Mary, and Martha's first impulse is to go get something going in the kitchen. Now, in doing so, she is being faithful to the hospitality begun centuries before when Father Abraham welcomed three guests into his tent in Genesis 18. And just as Abraham turned to Sarah to assist with the duties of hospitality, Martha expected Mary to do the same. What she did not expect was for Mary to plop down on the floor at Jesus' feet and leave all the work on her shoulders. But that's exactly what happened. Mary was in no hurry to come into the kitchen. Mary was in no mood to help set the table. Mary was in no mood to pour the water or fold the napkins. And so while Martha is flipping through her recipe box and boiling water and chopping up vegetables and setting a table for three, Mary just sits there, not lifting a finger. And so we can imagine Martha maybe banging a few pots together, putting the plates down on the table with some authority, a sturdy thump, just to remind everybody in that house that she was working. Now perhaps Jesus heard the bustling around, and then after a while she probably even heard Martha muttering a few things under her breath. And since Jesus is pretty good at knowing all of our hearts, he probably already knew what was in Martha's. He knew what was bubbling up inside of her before she even said anything, but he waited for her to speak. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Notice here that Mary is not the only one that Martha is scrutinizing, is she? Even the Lord feels a little bit of Martha's ire. Jesus, do you not care? Sounds a little bit like Mark chapter 4, verse 38, does it not? Remember the disciples and Jesus are on a boat. Jesus is taking a nap. Storm comes up. And they ask Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus tells them what? Why are you afraid, ye of little faith? I'm not so sure that Martha suffered from a lack of faith, but she was certainly in the middle of a spell, wasn't she? Not only does she accuse the Lord of a lack of caring, she even tries to tell him what to do. Tell her to help me, Jesus. Tell her to help me. What would, what would cause somebody to act in such a fashion? Well, honestly, it's anger. And her anger is simply a part of being human. And it's the human tendency to have massive blind spots burst forth in raw emotion. And what's Martha's blind spot? Distracted discipleship. Just like the lawyer last week who prompted the Samaritan parable, 
Martha's blind spot is revealed by the fact that she has missed the point entirely of what obedience means. Though there are other ways to understand what is going on in Martha's mind and heart, I tend to think that she is suffering from what one of my commentaries refers to as vainglory. You ever heard that word before? Vainglory? It's kind of an odd thing. It's the one vice that is unique among the rest and that it requires having faith and religious practice in order to commit it. In other words, it takes a good thing in order to become a bad thing. Vainglory is what happens when we become focused on what we are doing rather than why we are doing it. Vainglory is what happens when we value the doing of good Christian duties, when we use the good doing as the measure for ourselves, when we become proud of all of our Christian doing and then use our service to compare and deem ourselves better than others. That's vainglory. And vainglory can lead, like Martha shows us here, to being so distracted by the doing that the doing is all you can see. Do we suffer from vainglory at times, friends? Now, to be sure, understand, Jesus is not against us doing. Last week at the end of the parable, the Good Samaritan tells us to go and what? Do likewise. His brother James writes in his letter to not just be hearers of the word, but also what? Doers. Martha's problem is not that she is busy. It's not that she is engaging in the active life. Her problem is that she is uncentered. She is distracted. She is unfocused. Her mind is divided, drifting from this concern to that, from one anxiety to another. Many things, it seems, preoccupies her. And that's what leads Jesus to say to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many, many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, Martha surely understands that something is going wrong in this situation in her house, but her distractedness has led her to the wrong conclusion. It's got to be somebody else's fault. It's got to be Mary's fault. It might even be Jesus' fault. But instead, she's not looking inward to the true source of the issue. See, what Mary has chosen is not so much a contemplative life. Mary has chosen a focused life life focused on Jesus. She is anchored, it seems, in the one necessary thing. By extension, it would seem to me that if Mary were to get up and start helping with the household tasks, she would not be worried or distracted by any of them because she is focused on the one necessary thing. And on the other hand, would, were Martha to go sit at Jesus' feet, I think she would still squirm with impatience because she is distracted. And it's often the case in the spiritual life. The issue is not, friends, what we're doing. The issue is, why are we doing it? Whereas Martha is depicted as being overly fraught with her many tasks, Jesus speaks about her inner state that has led her to focus on her outward service. Her worry and distraction has pulled her away from the one thing that might recenter and calm her anxiety. And that one thing is Jesus. The one thing that is needful for a hurried soul is to sit at the feet of Jesus so that through the soul care of attention to his word, 
she might be able to made whole and focused again and then be able to practice attention discipleship. My friends, what about you this morning? Are you a hurried soul? Because let's be honest, how many voices call out to us on any given day? How many influences in our lives have us pulling this way and that way? Friends, we are all Marthas. We do and we do and we do and we sometimes get lost and distracted in just the busyness of doing. We forget the one necessary thing. So the question, of course, is this. What is the one necessary thing you keep talking about? You said it four or five times. What is the one necessary thing? Friends, the one necessary thing is to be restored in a loving relationship with God. The one necessary thing is to listen to the voice of Jesus as he tells you of his love and tells you exactly who you are. The one necessary thing is sitting still and listening to God. In your walk right now, friends, are you a distracted disciple or are you a focused follower of Jesus? Or put another way, friends, what is the most important thing in your life right now? If some intelligent being coming from one of those galaxies that NASA showed us the pictures of this past week. If some intelligent being were to come down and observe your life, what conclusions would this intelligent being come to about the most important thing in your life, the most important thing to you for survival, the most important thing to you for happiness? John Wesley wrote a sermon on it. He says, the most important thing in our lives should be to recover our first estate from which we have fallen. This is the one thing needful, to exchange the image of Satan for the image of God, bondage for freedom, sickness for health. Our one great business is to raise out of our souls the likeness of our destroyer and to be born again, to be formed anew after the likeness of our creator. It is our one concern to shake off this servile yoke and to regain our native freedom, to throw off every chain, every passion, and desire that does not suit an angelical nature. The one work we have to do is to return from the gates of death to perfect soundness, to have our diseases cured, our wounds healed, and our uncleanliness done away. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about our sanctification. He's talking about growing in Christ's likeness. He's talking about loving God so you can love your neighbor. He's talking about being with and listening to and following Jesus with your cross squarely around your shoulders. Is this the most important thing in your life? What would the people around you say is the most important thing in your life based upon the way that you live? Is your priority seeking to restore and strengthen your relationship with God? Because, friends, this has got to be the anchor. The why we do anything has got to be because our priorities match up to God's priorities. John Wesley believed it was absolutely essential that God's priorities were our priorities. And it wasn't just words he would put into a sermon here and there. As a result of that conviction, that the one thing necessary is to be renewed and remade in the image of God. He used anything he could find to try to help people constantly be reminded of what was most important. And so he talked about prayer. And he talked about reading scripture. He talked about communion. He talked about fasting. He talked about watching over one another in love through various communal exercises. 
His goal was never to create the ultimate bureaucracy. He didn't want to create anything, to be quite honest. His goal was to fan the flames that God had lit in people's hearts and lives. His goal was to help every Christian keep their eyes on God and to keep them attentive to nurturing and growing in their relationship with God. And that's what Mary is doing. Unfortunately, I think, friends, at times, we, like Martha, do not. What is the most important thing in your life? Listen to these words that close Wesley's sermon on the one necessary thing. He says, has Christ given you light? Then why are you still sitting in the shadow of death? What slumber is this that hangs about your eyes? Haven't you gotten it yet that the only thing that matters in life is the restoration of Christ's image in you? What are all these other things that you pursue so fiercely? Why do any of them have the least place in your thoughts, the least share in your affections? Are you supposed to focus on your senses as the one necessary thing in life? Do you need to gratify your imagination with beautiful objects? Our Lord says no. Does he say that the one thing needed is to acquire a fortune or even just to have increase in what you already have? I'm telling you, no. To think so is to be a dreamer. People who are awake and alert don't think this. Is the one thing needed to obtain honor, power, reputation? Is it to gain the fairest fruit on earth, learning, education? No. All of these things might move us towards the one thing needful, but what is essential, the only essential, is to escape the trap of the devil, regain an angelic nature, and recover the image of God first placed on us when God created humanity. This is the only reason we are alive. This is the only reason we were put on earth. This is the only reason Christ poured out his blood on the cross. This is why the Holy Spirit watches over us. We need to press towards this high calling and emerge out of our chains, diseases, and death to liberty, health, and life immortal. That's good, ain't it? That, friends, is the one necessary thing. And it's offered to us by the one necessary Savior. What's the most important thing in your life? Why do you do what you do? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.